This is Pop Fizz. Welcome to episode one. From your hosts, Amanda McGee and Jane Austic. I am Amanda McGee and I write stuff. And I'm Jane Austic and I also write stuff technically. <laughs> I write a lot of stuff. I'd be like, and I don't. (laughs) You read stuff. We both read read stuff. We read stuff a lot. Yeah. (laughs) And this is a podcast mostly about books, but possibly sometimes about movies and also literary criticism and also whatever catches our fancy because. What what the fuck ever? Yeah. Is this a cussing podcast? It is now. Yeah! So, please bear with us while we wear our tiny baby trainee wheels Mm -hmm. and start this uh, lovely process. So, (laughs) we're we're learning. We are. (laughs) So, uh, what we decided we would do for our structure for this first episode Mm -hmm. is uh, Jane has brought a book she wants to talk about, or something. She brought a a, a fictional work, a story. You can't see my eyes got big. It's possibly not a book. It's sort of a book. Uh, and, and I have brought a piece of uh, literary adjacent criticism. And really it's an article from the New Yorker. And, <laughs> and so we are going to, I don't know, should we rock, paper, scissors to see who goes first? It's either is fine, yeah. Yeah, okay. All right. Ready? Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay. Um, for Anna, Amanda won. I won. So. I <laughs> and then, so about, we're, we're planning for this to go an hour. So for about halfway through, I'm sorry, I'm super type A, so I have to explain everything to No, it's good. Especially because I I will benefit from learning the rules. Okay. Well, I mean, the rules can change, but I want to explain no. the rules for this one. About, like, like... Until this conversation runs out, or like 30 minutes from now, one or the other, uh, we will talk about the thing that I brought, and then um, at that time we'll transition to the thing that Jane brought, and then we'll try not to keep you past an hour. So, okay. <laughs> so, okay, yeah. I brought this article by the New Yorker, from the New Yorker, from January, um, about Joanna Russ, who you know that I am super into because, Uh not because I've actually read any of her fictional work, though I do want to read it, Mm -hmm. but because she um, wrote How to Suppress Women's Writing. Yes. Yeah. That's what I was, I was like, that's her, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, this article was about, apparently, at the time that Joanna was writing, um, she was like a lot of people reported on her potentially having a feud with Ursula Le Guin, which is really interesting to me. <laughs> Wait! Oh my gosh! Okay, yeah. yeah. And it was it's a, the article's a little bit incoherent in, in exactly what the nature of the feud was because to me it sounds like they're both saying the same thing. They just don't like each other. <laughs> I gotta say this. You, I hate it when someone's like. There is drama because it feels like whenever internet, any kind of a, a artist, but it's usually like internet feuds pop up, 
very rarely are people like, this is what happened, this is what happened, dot, dot, dot. It's usually like, well, there might be this, and there might be that, and there's usually like bloated, whatever you'll go through, like if you'll watch 40 minute video or 20 minute video or just read a lot of Reddit threads and you're like, so what happened? I don't, yeah, I don't get yeah. it. So this was apparently the, the conundrum between the two of them was, I, I, I think reading it, I uh-huh. didn't feel like I really understood what was going on. 100% so full disclosure there, but I think reading it, <laughs> the issue was that Joanna Russ was really angry, which jives, and Ursula Le Guin was not as angry. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but um, what was interesting about the title of this article was it was a, it basically, um, I'm going to paraphrase the title, and I'll go back and put it in the description, but the title of the article was a, the writer who said no Mm. and it was talking about really like Joanna Rose's idea of like the idea that the stories that we have inherited as women don't they um become she calls our myth our myths basically of our society uh don't really allow a lot of flexibility in terms of what um, what roles women and men can play, and so we need to create new myths. Mm-hmm. And um, what was interesting is a lot of her characters are apparently, uh, obviously, I need to go back and read her, but a lot of her characters, even when they were making choices to extricate themselves from like these very um, gendered situations, were. Um, being were made in that process to do these immoral things and still had to deal with the consequences of their immorality Mm -hmm. and this is really interesting to me because of an author that I really like her name is Cameron Hurley she's written a lot of really interesting stuff and she writes these intensely amoral characters and sometimes I get really upset because I want to read about, like, these strong women that I admire, and I want to, like, on some level believe that, like, you know, Mm. um, that women can't, would not or could not do the things to other women and to men that men have done to women historically, but I have to recognize consciously that this is not true. Like, <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, and then this is part of the myths that we're inheriting about women, which are the very things that Joanna Rose didn't want us to internalize. <laughs> so anyway, so that's my article, and the 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 thing that I am positing um, today, uh, like, and I guess. Um, I don't know that I have any thesis to take away from this, but I just thought it was like a really interesting idea that apparently has been a problem or not a problem. That's like, a, but it's something that people, women especially, have been struggling with for like I don't know, like fifty years now. If she was writing in the seventies, right? So yeah. like, um, yeah. <laughs> and it feels so easy to say just write something that doesn't address these issues and it goes beyond just even for women like Mm -hmm. just write the world you want to see and that's I think easier said than done right especially because 
And, and it's such a fine line to walk, um, whether you want to engage with a complicated uh, discussion or not. Like, <laughs> the other day, um, I decided, really, really impulse thing, I got uh, a copy of, um, it's it's a play, or it called itself like a, like a, a poem dance, a choreo poem? A choreo poem. A choreo poem. A choreo poem. What, and is, what is that? Let's uh, define it, because I don't know what it is. <laughs> and I haven't read this all yet, yeah. so I can't really talk much. Maybe it'll be my thing another week, and I'll have, like, done research on it, but, uh-huh. um... For for what I've seen so far and what I picked up and why I decided to impulse buy it, it looks like it was originally some poetry and then it became more of a production and it became an actual play, but there's a lot of dance elements to it. So uh-huh. um, it looks like it's... Uh, so the, the name of the piece is called For Colored Girls Who Have Considered Suicide When the Rainbow Is Not Enough or something, something like that. I'm, from memory, it's a long title... I may not have it all right. Um, and the part that got me was I opened it up to read a little bit of it, and it was all these different women, like women in red, women in blue, and they were talking about rape. And it was like passing back and forth, and the conversation about rape that they were having, they were like, now he's not a rapist because blah. Now he gets to be with all of your friends. Now you're watching him with another woman, and you're worried about if you should say something. And like, rape doesn't get brought up much out of... I think fridge situations where it's like it's meant to create drama race stakes but it's not really supposed to be about rape you know what mm-hmm. I mean it's not that's not really what the story is about even in stories that are like um like uh, that are supposed to be about rape and I'm thinking of Beartown as a good example it's not usually about the rape it's about everyone else around the rape it's about the town and the way that they mm-hmm. react to the rape or it's mm-hmm. about solving a murder mystery or um it's not about the victim and the smallness. That's what really caught me was that there was this truth in the way that it was written, but it was the smallness of all, we have the same friends and now we have to hang out with the same people. And in my own experiences, that's the part that gets to you. The part where you have to be like, how do I share space with you? How do I share community Mm -hmm. with you? And it's not about how the community deals with it. It's about how I deal with it. And I've never, that was something I hadn't really seen was just this conscious, um, very small focused questioning. And I really liked it. And I was like, I'm reading this book and <laughs> I'm reading this choreo poem. <laughs> so I went ahead and got it. It's, it's got like this really long forward. So when I do read it, I will have way more knowledge about its production history. I think that it made, it got made into a movie too. Mm-hmm. Um, so there might be more to that, but, um... That would be an interesting movie. I Yeah. I, I feel like it's interesting that you talk about that as rape essentially being a plot device in literature, mm-hmm. and it seems like it's either... It, it, and I don't know if there's a way... We're, we're going back and talking about, like, that vision of, like... The world you want to see, and yeah. I think so. What's interesting about that? Um, I'm gonna come back to Cameron Hurley again because I follow her on Twitter, and she said something at some point um, that I am almost certainly misquoting. And it's Twitter, <laughs> and I've never been able to find it again. You know, like you can't find things on Twitter once they're gone. It's almost impossible. So. Um, she said something at some point that was very much about this about writing 
the future that you want to see again, similar to that conversation that was happening between, in that New Yorker article, sort of being recapped between Le Guin and Jonah Russ. Yeah. And so, um, the, she said something to the effect of, like, you can keep kind of re- regurgitating these things that are happening, um, in the world. So, like, you can keep writing these, essentially, like, I think this idea of, like, a second wave of feminist literature, which is we replicate the patriarchy in literature so that we can deconstruct it, mm-hmm. um, or, at, or we can vent our rage at it, mm-hmm. um, she's like, yeah, you can keep doing that, but at what point are you going to step beyond that and start imagining a future where it isn't and has never been and maybe it's it's the opposite situation and maybe you know and like yeah. kind of coming up with these futures um and i like the way that it that actually kind of so the the book that i that i was talking about and the reasons why i bought it obviously that's cathartic i don't know mm-hmm. what the author's been through but that had there's types of writing that are cathartic that are meant to help you deal with a problem or to help other people deal with a problem. Right. That is a story that's clearly for people who have gone through some sort of abuse and is allowing them a private way to feel less alone, feel connected, and have cathartic experience. And that's great. And you can only have that if it's reflective of things that have happened. But that's not the only type of writing and story. And so there's like this balance because I, I like the idea of write the future you want, but what is your goal when you're writing your story, right? Are you trying to create something that's going to make people feel connected and deal with a real problem? Um, are you trying to create a new future? Or are you trying to do both sometimes? Like, um, to all the boys I've loved before um, is a good example of a very diverse story that it just feels kind of naturally baked into the plot. And the mm-hmm. plot is very small and very domestic. and. Uh, it's not trying to imagine like dragons or, you know, a world where uh, we have a bunch of female presidents or something. But um, at the same time, the way that the book kind of just has, and we're seeing this a lot in YA now, they'll just have diverse characters like trans characters or characters of different ethnic backgrounds or races um, and class just in a story and they're just sort of chilling. Which I think is more reflective of reality because reality... I I always really like it when people say about, like, making a diverse story or putting a trans character into something. They're like, well, they've always been around. People have always... We've always been diverse. We just don't write diverse. And so that's... It's more true to include more characters that are like that. Yeah, and I think that's... I think that's a struggle. Or it's not really a struggle per se because I don't think it has to be a struggle. I think there's room for both kinds of stories. I think there's room for stories that are resistance narratives. I want to make yeah. that clear. Oh, and yeah. I didn't say you were saying that. I was just like, I was just thinking through what we were talking about. Yeah, no, no. And I, I just want to make that clear for the for the purposes of, like, theoretically someone's listening to us. That's true. It's true. Sorry. For Mike. Yeah. Is there someone listening to this? His name for is Mike. Mike over there. Yeah. Hi, yeah. Mike. Hi, Mike. So, don't get it twisted. (laughs) (laughs) So, for our invisible audience named Mike, um, I want to make it clear that I think there's room for both kinds of stories. I think there's room for stories that are resistance stories and that they're important and that they do provide that kind of catharsis. 
for stories that explore the very real restrictions that many of us face in life. And there's also room for stories where we kind of like write our hopes instead of our traumas. And not that you can't write both, but I, you know, I think that sometimes stories fall in one pole or the other when you're looking at a lot of like diversity stories. So, and I think there's a cool idea in there too, which is that, um, so like the two old boys I've loved before, right? That specific example is one where I would argue to a degree at least, it's choosing not to like address that's a better way of putting this. It's basically saying that the frame of this lens that we've used for so long, like it's not I imagine a better world, it's just this isn't the world. This hasn't been the world. Yeah. And so this is yeah. what the world actually is. And that's a different thing too. There's like Well, reclaiming. I think there's something there about like reclaiming history and it's something that it's kind of in. I mean, I think that there is a lot of like historical fantastical fiction that att- attempts this, but it's actually kind of hard to do in <laughs> fantasy and science fiction, which is largely my wheelhouse, because yeah. you're per like per force trying to make up something that wasn't, and so it's easy for people who are kind of detractors of this. Um, of that effort to point at it and say, oh, well, you're just, like, making stuff up, essentially. <laughs> <laughs> because that's what you did. But um, but I don't, I mean, I do not obviously agree with that assessment, but I think that it is, um, and I think that those stories are still really powerful. I'm not trying to detract from that either. But I do think that, like, there's something to be said for, historical and contemporary fiction that's not tied to the fantastical that is diverse yes Um, and that's hard to find yeah and it's interesting seeing um attempts to make things more diverse like snl just made fun of frozen 2 for uh having the one black character oh i haven't seen it yet still but (laughs) like they had keenan play the character and they were like (laughs) And the Kristoff guy walks over to Kenny and he goes, what's important? Because they're like, why are you here in, you know, Scandinavia in the 1840s? And Kristoff is like, well, all, all that matters is now we're diverse. And Keenan just looks at the camera and is like, it's a whole spectrum, like, it's a whole world of, world of color. It's just the one black guy. Um, <laughs> it's, there's a lot going on there. And I'm I know not there's so much. And I apologize <laughs> if I have stepped into something wrong. But just, just thinking, like, it can be hard for people to find the way to, and and actually, I took a slight whatever with with the skit. I get the point that they're making, which is that it didn't feel natural. It felt very forced, and like they were trying to meet a quota instead of organically telling a story, where you would have a character um, who it has a different skin color or a different ethnicity of any kind being in this environment. I do think that there were people from all over the world traveling all over the world at any given time. And I actually think that focusing, maybe that's a a good challenge for people who are trying to write historical fiction is try to find those examples. Like, um, like the fact that there are, uh, there's this Chinese community of immigrants in Egypt, like in the last 10 years, and they primarily sell lingerie and that's like all that they do. And it works well that their culture because they're not Muslim, but they are selling primarily to a Muslim audience, for some reason, that 
works for them. It, it works. There's a cultural thing, but they are there and they've been there for a while. And so the challenge is go find these communities that did exist, that were there, and, and don't just look at the world as white because it's easy. Right, right. And, and yeah. Well, and or, think, or looking at gender structure like that because it's easy. And I think, um, you know, it's, it, I'm not someone who's like an expert on any of the history of like Europe and, oh, and me neither. And, and like I'm so sorry Mike I'm so sorry Mike tell me where what I need to research to be better yeah I mean like that's fair I, yeah. I would love to know more about a lot of this um but uh I think there is there is like a push-pull here and um different people will probably approach it different ways and I don't necessarily know that I would have had that that response necessarily. I would have just been like, well, migration was a thing. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of have to interrogate that response, but I also have to question, you know, like what other communities could have been pulled from to... Um, as well. So, I don't know. Most, I haven't risk, watched the movie, so it, I don't know how they risk, handled it. He, well, it's clear they don't, it's clear they wanted to have a good positive role model that they created this character to be, like, upstanding and to be a hero. And, and he sort of fits in the plot okay, in that I mean, he doesn't fit into the core group of heroes, and that's pretty reflective I think in the advertising. You don't see his character. Oh yeah, I didn't even know he was in there, because mm-hmm. I've only watched the trailers. And, I mean, he is in there, but it's it's kind of like, um, and this is really veering off topic, so I it will t- dip a toe in it, come back some yeah, other time. Yeah, this may be a future, and, you know, if we decide to tackle this more in the future, hopefully we will have done more research and be more able to provide, like, any kind of thoughtful perspective if, and acknowledge whether or not our perspective is even wanted in that's this true. arena. That's true. might not be. Yeah. That's where I'm like, if, if, if missteps were made, we're figuring out, please, please correct and instruct and give us mm-hmm. your feedback and thoughts because no, but nobody's trying to offend anybody and nobody's trying to be rude and the way we learn is by listening. Mm-hmm. So um, That's for sure. Yeah. But, um... Yeah, I was just going to say that I feel, especially for Disney movies, it's not just Disney movies, but I felt it real strong this year with these releases, is that there was this, like, absolute fear of taking really big risks. That the movies that are coming out that are big tent poles are, like, and Frozen is a great example, and I think it was good that Frozen got the snub for the Oscars, because Frozen 1 was a gigantic risk for them in a lot of different ways. Frozen 2 is not a bad movie. I don't hate it. It has some beautiful things. Like, it's funny. Um, it's got some beautiful songs, some beautiful, really good animation. And that's always been where I've been, like, drooling over it. But the story is extremely safe, and you can kind of see where they kept snipping away at things to make it so that no one would get mad. And this is, like, brave. The, yeah! yeah! So, like, where they... Re- I mean, I am not really clear on what the original screenplay was for Brave, but the big thing that everybody said when it came out was um, that they had recut it so many times that it wasn't anywhere near the story that the director yeah. and the screenwriter and everybody originally wanted to tell. And... I wanted to like Braid... Uh, Braid. <laughs> That's a I good wanted, video game. <laughs> yeah. I wanted to like Brave so 
bad. And I did like it. I mean, it, but compared to how I felt about, like, Coco, for example, or um, Moana, like, the, mm. the sheer, like, attachment I have to both of those IPs, like... I didn't feel, and I'm, I'm Irish, like, <laughs> like, like, very dilute Appalachian Irish, but, you know, like, Scotch, Irish, Welsh, like, the blood is white, friends, and I should have been connected to Brave, like, if you, if you were gonna connect to anybody, it would be me, and, yeah, that, yeah, no, like, 100%, that would have been, that would have been the title. That would have been it. Pandering to you. Yes. Yeah. And it didn't work for me. It didn't work. And it, because it wasn't willing to take risks. And that's interesting, too, because these are narratives. Frozen, Brave, uh, Moana to a degree, but I actually think that's why Moana is more successful. They're attempts to tell a story about a woman that is creating new parameters, new myths about what being a woman means. Right. Bringing us back. Yeah, I know. Oh, look at us. This was a plan, guys. There was no plan. There's never any plan. There was never a plan. <laughs> um, and we're, I think, I think Frozen was successful, but in a really, like, it's interesting because it's, it's kind of got the same playbook that Enchanted had years ago. I don't know if you I don't really remember Enchanted, actually. Enchanted's a good movie. It's cute. It's, um... It's weird to me that people were like, Frozen broke through all of these ideas when a lot of the very same comments and jokes are in Enchanted and very little has changed about them. Um, and it, it's weird because, well, part of it is that people are too hard on Disney about some things, I think, because Disney ain't the only one who's telling these kinds of stories and Disney actually is trying to be better for the most part Uh huh. It, in leaps and spurts and... I think people are so hard on Disney because Disney basically has a monopoly on, like, True. children's stories and or young adult stories or, like, any stories right now. It's, like, Disney. And I love the way that they've grown more responsible about it. Like, Moana, uh, there's this really great video by Lindsay Ellis uh, on YouTube comparing Moana and Pocahontas and basically saying that Disney just remade Pocahontas with Moana, but they, like, they took all of all the ways that Pocahontas failed and they learned from it and a big part of that was including more um more Polynesian voices and actually letting them have creative control in making Moana and actually having them be the voices and the cast and and the writing team and things like that I could be wrong about I'm I'm I'm, I'm sorry I know you see my face and you're yes like, oh, yes I'm like no you have a thought <laughs> no, I just I just like so, I would have to go watch the video, and yeah. I'm not trying to poke fun at Lindsay Ellis right now. <laughs> yeah. but, Start a feud! Start uh, a blood feud! <laughs> Pay attention to us, Lindsay! Notice me, senpai. Yeah. <laughs> so, I think it's really weird to take, like, the two indigenous brown movies and be like, oh, we just remade the first brown movie. <laughs> I, that's really problematic to me. That what? just, like, pings my, my, my spidey senses. <laughs> Lindsay, for, like, we called you problematic. Notice us. <laughs> no, no, you, you gotta watch it. She goes into details where you can see, it's like the story parallels. beats and really specific story beats and, and things. It's, I didn't, 
notice it until I watched it, then I was like, oh boy, I see that. So okay. Um, but well, I will I will go back and watch it. I just <laughs> that was that just like I was like, oh, I'm not sure. I feel comfortable. I feel like there's there's potential here. <laughs> but I, <laughs> I guess the the just it's like with the Mulan remake too, where there's like all these choices being made to be more respectful to. Oh man, that like, is the most one hundred percent most excited so about sorry. movie this year. Mulan, Mulan, Finally. Mulan, Mulan, Mulan. Even when they're overstretching with, like, overcorrecting on Beauty and the Beast and overcorrecting. Oh, boy. But then, like, we're going to have the Black Ariel. And I'm really excited about that. I, I, I Have they done any trailers for that yet? No. They did do the, um, they, they cast the voice actress, and I'm blanking on her name, for Moana, and they did that live-action version with, like, Queen Latifah, who was amazing as Ursula. Like, oh, yeah. she had the laugh perfect. She was like, I was like, so they're going to put her in the live action version, right? Like, cast Queen Latifah or cast an actual drag queen. Please, Disney, who is not listening to this. Disney, if you're Mike. <laughs> <laughs> Disney, if your name is Mike. <laughs> there is a Michael somewhere in there, I'm sure. It's like this amorphous conglomerate. Yeah. <laughs> but Ruling our thoughts. I like Florida. I, I love seeing them take steps to be more thoughtful in the way they're telling these stories and I like I like the idea that Moana doesn't have a boyfriend and it's not a thing. I like that Elsa doesn't have a boyfriend and it's not a thing. I actually am one of those people who's like if you see Elsa as gay, that's awesome. I don't have an opinion. I think that if they gave her a girlfriend, they'd still be telling little girls that they need a partner. It, it just they changed the gender the partner needs to be. See, so have I ever told you about what I wished for Frozen? No. So I, okay, my, like, absolute, like, wish for Frozen was actually that Kristoff ended up with Elsa because he loved the, the ice oh. and the snow, and so he would, like, help her, like, love that part of herself, and that Anna learned to be her own person. Oh, that is <laughs> like, more of Anna's thing, isn't it? Like, That's learning her to be challenge. comfortable with the relationship she has. Yeah, like, her challenge is that oh. she wants someone to, like, sweep her away, and she wants this big romance in the first movie, and, like, that's her issue, and I don't think it is, does anything for her character to end up with Kristoff. I actually felt really disappointed, and I felt like he didn't really do anything, and I would have been more happy if she either didn't end up with him or if he was, like, struck dumb by the Elsa's beauty because she's snow magic. Well, see, this is where Moana's better, because they just don't have a love interest, and they don't no. address it. Moana is just better. Like, <laughs> like, like, Moana could get a girlfriend. Moana, too. Moana could get a girlfriend, and that could be... I I think she, that'd be I awesome. Mean, she'd be... Or she could never date. Badass chieftain queen. Like, yeah. And, she and can get whatever she wants. Because, to <laughs> she me... She have more than one girlfriend. <laughs> I think she should do whatever she wants. She's no. in a trouble. <laughs> Which Disney princess actually has a girlfriend? And not the way that your mom uses the term girlfriend. Mm -hmm. We all know better. <laughs> <We're talking. laughs>